Hello and welcome to Nerd Canon. I'm Beth. I'm still Paul. And this is a podcast where two nerdy librarians look at pop culture cornerstones from their childhood and decide if they are good enough to be shared with the next generation. And for today, listener beware, you're in for a scare. We're talking about goosebumps, bitches. Mm-hmm. You seem very excited. I am very excited. I'm less excited. Um, <laughs> I'm always less um, excited, though. I, uh, yeah, I'm into it. All right, well, tell me what your experience with Goosebumps is. I read every Goosebumps book in the library that I could get a hold of when I was a kid, but I don't have a strong, I didn't have a strong opinion about it coming into this. I liked it. Do you remember reading any of them specifically? I don't know any of the titles that I would have read. I remember bits and pieces of the story. Okay. I remember... That I had to get them at the public library because they didn't have them at our school library. Oh. But. So I was 10 when the first one came out. And I think by the time I really, so I, I think I was too old to have a strong opinion. Okay. You're only younger. You were only a year younger than me, but. Correct. I still am only a year younger. You, well, at the time you were a year <laughs> younger than me. Right. Now we are the same age. Um, <laughs> Magic has happened. I uh, was in a hyperbolic tube, and now I'm a weird man cat. <laughs> that, that last episode. Go back and listen to the last episode. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think now. Because when I say I read every one that, that was there, there weren't that many there. It might not have been that many. Do you remember? I found what I remember very particularly is the covers. Yes, absolutely. Um, the covers the, are all the same. The covers are terrible. Yeah. They are terrible, but they're, like, extremely iconic. Yes. I would say. So my experience of it was um, my school library did not have very many of them. And also, I think we said in the last episode, like, I have older siblings. So my, my siblings are 8 and 10 years older than me. And I was a very precocious reader. And a lot of my youthful reading involved stealing books off of my sister's shelves. And so I was definitely reading illicit, illegal Stephen King and Tom Robbins books at 10, 11, 12 that, like, maybe I wasn't supposed to be. So you were Um, beyond Goosebumps. I was. I was. But if I, you know, was going to go to the library and take out books, very much um, spooky things are very much my aesthetic and very much a thing that I I love and I still really identify with. So the idea of Goosebumps, just like, and we can talk about scary stories to hell in the dark another time, but... Mm -hmm. Those things very much resonated with me and were things that I wanted to like and that I wanted to have and I wanted to read because I love the spooky things. And so I very particularly remember reading, and I'm going to get the title wrong, um, The Mummy, The Mummy's Tomb, Curse the Mummy's Tomb, whichever one is the one with the mummy. I very particularly remember reading that one um, on like a warm summer day. Like I, for some reason, have a very strong memory of that particular book, but I know there was a handful of them in my library that I read. And I remember thinking that they were you know, sort of goofy and cheesy, but that I like appreciated that they were in the world because they did like scary stuff. And I remember liking how quick I could read them. Yes. Um, so that's what I remembered about them. To me, they were like really quick. And I've always been a fan of sort of like, I've always really loved like Tales from the Crypt and, and, and the shows and, and things where it's just little short, mm-hmm. you know, bites of horror stories and, um, Twilight Zone, all those things. Yeah. Um, 
spirits, all those different shows that, you know, factor fiction, all, all those different things that were like little spooky stories that were just beginning, middle and end in a half an hour or an hour. And, you know, Tales from the Crypt has a sort of a sarcastic and dark humor tone as well. And like a lot of these have some like pretty goofy aspects of them. And so that's what I remembered of it. And so that's I will also say, not to like plug other random podcasts, but I do listen to a podcast about Goosebumps, so I've been re-listening to a bunch of them, so I was very familiar with like, kind of re-familiar with the tropes and stuff before I actually read the ones for this episode. So, okay, so a little bit of Goosebumps history. So, Welcome to Dead House was published in July 1992. From 92 to 97, 62 books were published under the original Goosebumps umbrella title, there are numerous spin-off series, Goops, Give Yourself Goosebumps and Goosebumps Horrorland and Goosebumps Most Wanted. Um, there's more than 400 million Goosebumps books have been sold, making it the best-selling series of all time for several years at one point. At one point, no, at one point, Goosebumps sold 4 million books a month. Um, a movie based on Goosebumps books came out on October 16th, 2015. That's not within our time frame. That is not within our time frame, but it is a fact (laughs) about the series. You just, you simmer down. (laughs) So some fun facts. Arl Stein states that he often thinks of the title to a novel first and then lets the title lead him to a story. You know, as as all good authors do. Super obvious. (laughs) I'll talk Um, about that for my book that I read. (laughs) Stein writes some books in as quick as six days. Again, as all good writers do. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Slappy the Dummy is the main villain of Night of the Living Dummy, and he's the most recurring character in the series. The cover illustrations for the series were first done by Tim Jacobus, and those are the ones that we really, I think, identify with and remember, um, with, like, the drippy Goosebumps Mm -hmm. font and the really, like, (laughs) over-the-top illustrations. When asked about why Stein never included divorce, drug use, or child abuse in his books, he said it was because he wanted to make sure that kids understood that they were reading a fantasy and things like that you know, happen in real life. So he didn't want to include anything that was upsetting that happened in real life. He only wanted to include, you know, kind of made up stuff. Goosebumps is listed as the 15th in the list of the most frequently challenged books from the from the 90s. So the American Library Association, Paul and I are both librarians. We give lots of shits about censored and challenged books. And Goosebumps is often on the list, mm-hmm. which is maybe why your elementary school right. library didn't have any. Right. Um, mine had a couple. My library in elementary school was shit. Oh, shit. (laughs) So in the 90s, the Goosebumps TV series was produced in Canada by Protocol Entertainment, um, and it was a TV anthology series that ran for four seasons from 95 to 98. There are, like, six video games and some comic books. Some some R.L. Stein fun facts. R.L. stands for Robert Lawrence. He also wrote joke books under the name Jovial Bob Stein. <laughs> I did not know that was. Yeah, you're welcome. Jovial Bob Stein um shows up as kind of the host of the show, and he has absolutely no personality whatsoever. Um, so I think it was supposed to be framed sort of maybe how the Crypt Keeper was like the host of Tales from the Crypt. Um, so that's something we can talk about a little bit more in a minute. Um, Goosebumps came actually after Fear Street. They approached him and asked him to start writing something aimed more at like 7 to 12 year olds. And at first he was reluctant because his Fear Street series was more for the high school crowd. And he was afraid if he did Goosebumps that kids wouldn't be 
it would not be appealing that he was now doing kid books. So he I did, was. I did not read any Fear Street ever. Oh shit! I love some Fear one. Street. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> last but not least, my fa- my last fun fact is that um, R.L. Stein's favorite monster is Jelly Jam from the Horror Camp Jelly Jam. So the big, gross, like super, super stinky monster is his mm-hmm. favorite one. P.S. I fucking loved the Fear Street books, <laughs> and I reread one as an adult, and like woof. But anyway, <laughs> um, I very distinctly remember that some serious shit went down in the Fear Street books. Uh, there was a girl that gets burned at the stake, and it is extremely graphic. There's a lot about, like, how she can, like, smell her own skin cooking and shit. Delicious. Um, delicious. <laughs> and I remember really sticking with me. I think I read more of the Fear Street books than I did of the Goosebumps books because they were sold as a little bit more, like, teenagery and by the time I was getting stuff from the public library I was maybe getting some teenagery stuff but I yeah, I, I think I always thought of these books as like in addition to my regular reading which was again stealing shit yeah. <laughs> from my family bookshelves so I read Welcome to Dead House that was the first book in the series so Welcome to Dead House is your very typical very tropey kids moving into a new house the family gets a letter that some great, some mysterious great uncle has died and they've now inherited this house. Because, of course, every set of parents in the world would just pick up their family and move to a new place based on the will of a great uncle they did not know they had. That Does makes a lot of sense, right? That, like, they have to live in it for so long before they get it. It's not explicitly stated, but <laughs> so they have to, they, they're, they're moving there. Um, there's two kids, they're pissed off, uh, Josh and Amanda. Um, there's a lot of, what I wrote in my notes was that this is like a good introduction to horror tropes. Like there's a lot of like typical horror tropes that we see. Um, dogs don't like dead people. Dogs don't like ghosts. Dogs don't like things. Like, so the dog immediately doesn't like every, anything. And one of the other things that I, that I wrote that I think I noticed through all the ones that I read for this was that that feeling of being a kid and no one believing you. So oh, yeah, absolutely. the That's parents the books never well. believe anybody. Mm-hmm. The cops never believe anybody. Um, so I can see why as a kid that's pretty creepy. Um, anyway, they move into the house. People in the town are weird. Um, it is haunted question mark. Amanda keeps hearing shit in her room. Nobody believes her. Turns out that the entire town is dead. You know, like mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. At some point they try to half-ass explain it in one chapter at the end where they're like, yeah, there was a weird yellow gas, and now everyone is dead, and we need a new family to move in once a year so we can drink their blood so that we can continue to be ghosts. Here's a couple plot holes. Why do they have fucking gravestones? Hmm. If everybody died at once, and now they're murdering a family every year, why are they going through the fucking trouble of (laughs) keeping and maintaining whatever these are not ghost rules i've ever heard anywhere else they are afraid of the sun are they vampires like it doesn't make they're drinking blood but they're like keep saying that they're ghosts they keep saying ghosts they never say vampires but they once a year need blood and they're very special amphitheater it's all very ridiculous one thing that i noticed and i noticed this in all of them is there's a lot of physical description of each character and it feels a little bit like page filler (laughs) But yeah. I don't. Oh yeah, there's I, a lot. I, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember 
I, I remember in all of these, there being a lot of physical description of characters. And I can't, I'm trying to think of if other books when I was a kid had that much physical description. And if I gave that many mm-hmm. shits about what characters mm-hmm. looked like, maybe kids can't kids, make kids, their kids, own. Kids, yes, they can. can. They can. They so, can. Again, Paul and I are librarians. And, like, I, I think we're pretty good at reading with our, like, kid hat on. And, like, I think a kid would like this book. But I thought that was a little much, the the – some of these things are a little much, but um. So which ones? What are the ones you read, Paul? So I read Night of the Living Dummy because we talked about classic, it being sort of a classic. So before we did this, this is going to yeah. be a really shitty thing for me to say because I wouldn't say this about basically any author because right. I don't have this high of opinion of myself. But if ah. there's a book series I could write, I think it would be Goosebumps. Yes, it, and it feels a little bit like there's no way he's writing all of these. You think so? Mm. I don't know. I think, or he's like, penning them out in like five minutes. Yeah, there's there's some serious lazy writing. Mm-hmm. Look, the name of the dog in Night of the Living Dummy is Barky. Woof. Yeah, it, exactly. That, <laughs> that's real bad. Um, <laughs> it's. The writing is really simplistic. As I was reading this and I was trying to think, like, who is going to enjoy this? I think if you hit it at the exact right level where it's just scary enough, if you're that kind of kid. But to be honest, as a a middle school librarian, I don't see a lot of goosebumps going out the door anymore. That's what I was going to ask you. So the target range for this is 7 to 12. So... I, but they're way below that in terms of sophisticated. I agree. And and we know that there are so many more books at the middle grade level yes. that are so much more sophisticated now. But yeah. we also know that in the 90s, there was not as many options. There was a lot of these really formulaic series mm-hmm. with, you know, your Nancy Drew, your, your Sweet Valley, your Hardy Boys, your Babysitter's um, Club. Club. Yeah. Oh. So there was a lot the of where they lived movies. on the houseboat. Um, What's that? The one where they, not not on the houseboat, um, the boxcar children. children. (laughs) Yeah. So there was a lot, I mean, I think sort of the formulaic nature of some of these series is probably good for like a struggling younger reader. And the fact that Goosebumps is supposed to be a little bit scarier, a little bit spooky. Like I said to you, like I always appreciated that aesthetic even as a kid. So Mm -hmm. I was drawn to these, whether they were good writing or not. I I guess I would put, Goosebumps at like late elementary. I agree. Um, versus readability for seven to 12. I mean, I guess so. I could see some of the stuff being too creepy for a seven year old. So one of the things about it is that the chapters are super short. Yeah. And I don't know about the ones that you read, but the ones that I read, they all, a lot of them, the chapters end on a really cheesy cliffhanger. Okay. I um, wrote that in my like notes. Definitely like high interest. Yeah. Presumably. But I also think by the time they get to sixth grade, there aren't many kids. I could sell Goosebumps to a sixth grader who is already into horror, scary stuff, Mm -hmm. and is also maybe not that great a reader. Right. Or a younger, like a fifth, I think like a fourth, fifth grader that is excited about that idea and it feels like extra spooky. Yeah. So um, do all I, the books I, I don't know. 
Do what? all the books end on cliffhangers? There's got to be like a real word for this, but in my head, I always think of it as a Freddy Krueger, like a Nightmare on Elm Street ending, because a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. ending movies end, and then yeah. like the light goes on in the dollhouse or whatever. Right. So a lot of them end with an ending, and the character walks away. A lot of them are first person narration, mm-hmm. so the character, main character, walks away like, ah, oh, cool, like everything's fine. And then the last and line or two is, dun, 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 right. the thing is still alive. Somebody yeah. new is moving in the house. Like, you know, one of those type of scenarios. Because Night of the Living Dummy was not about Slappy. <laughs> Which is funny. So I watched the show, Night of the Living Dummy, and I want to say it was Night of the Living Dummy 2. Um, I That's watched about it. Slappy. Two- yes, Slappy is in it. There are other dummies as well. But the father, so it's all of the Night of the Living Dummy books, I feel like it's different families. It's not like the same. Mm-hmm. Some of the other sequels, Monster Blood, for example, those sequels are the same characters. But Night of the Living Dummy, I think it just follows the dummy. Um, and so in the show, you know, the acting was pretty raunchy. Although Hayden Christensen was one of the kids. <laughs> So, and as you can remember from his Star Wars acting, it wasn't much better when he was hmm. 11 or however mm-hmm. the fuck old he was when he was making that. That was his big break, um, his goosebumps. Yeah, I will say the special effects were okay for the show because it was the dummies. And I think that they just did, honestly, I think they just did little people in costume. Hmm. Um, So there wasn't a lot of like cartoony looking special effects because it was just the dummies moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the big thing in this episode was that the parents didn't believe the kids stuff was happening. It was the dummies doing it. That was very much like mm-hmm. in, in the book, the one, the dad, it, it says he wrote the dad jumps up from where he's sitting to say, stop acting dumb to his twin yeah. girls. Like, <laughs> And I mean, the parents are totally oblivious. The dad goes out of the picture and it's just mom at home. And I think that's like, there's so many middle grade young adult books where the parents have to be off in some We have to get rid of the parents or the plot couldn't happen. Right. And so Um, if the parents actually reacted with some compassion and thoughtfulness. It would be very different. It would be a very, it wouldn't be that bad of a story maybe, but because they aren't believed and the adults never believe what is happening. And so one of the other kind of tropes of the series is pranks. People, the kids, pranking each other and fucking with each other. So I read Say Cheese and Die. Pretty much all these kids are assholes. Yes. They're assholes to each other. They break into... Living Dummy is twins who are assholes to each other. (laughs) Great. And the whole first half of the thing, one twin is like, oh, that was just a prank I was doing on you. Ha, ha, ha. And the one is going like out of her mind because she thinks the dummy is alive and it's really the twin who's pulled a prank. And then the dummy really does come alive. Yes. That's exactly what happens in the two in the show. Right. In Say Cheese and Die, it's a haunted camera, which is a, which is a trope of, you know, the horror world. Like it, the camera shows things and then it comes to be, or is the camera causing things to be bad? You can't really tell, but bad shit happens when the camera does take the right pictures. So they break into a house, they steal this camera It's causing murder and mayhem. 
And then at the end, they legitimately straight up murder a human. Oh. <laughs> and they have no fucking consequences. The evil scientist captures them. He's like, I made this camera, and now you know too much, so maybe he's going to murder them. It's unclear. They struggle. They take a photo of him, and he dies. Maybe from a heart attack, maybe from the camera, maybe from whatever. And then they're like, bye, and they just leave. (laughs) And then it cuts to, like, a few weeks in the future, and they're like, yeah, it was so weird when we killed that guy and we had no consequences. (laughs) Peace out. And that was the end. Okay. So that was the thing. That but then was the camera like sitting on a shelf somewhere? You honestly? know that then the two bullies came and broke in and took the camera. Uh-huh. They're like, those dumb kids, they didn't see us. See <laughs> them, take the camera. Um, so in Night of Living Dummy, the it's actually Mr. Wood who is the dummy. Okay. In the very end, they're like, oh, thank goodness. Mr. Wood gets run over by a steamroller. Great, because of course, and well, how else are you going to kill your sentient dummy monster? Right. Well, they tried to chop his head off. They try and cut him his head off. They right. try and do a whole, and he's he keeps. So part of it was the the dialogue. This is going to be really terrible, but the dialogue for the dummy was awful, and he kept saying things like, "I have powers, you can't kill me," just like, but never. It just it was right. just never explained, never nothing. It was just I have powers. You can't do anything to me. You're my slaves now. Yeah, uh, lots about slaves, right? Yeah. And at the end, then it's Slappy who shows up. It's like, haha, you thought that other one was the guy, bad guy, but I'm the real bad guy. And then the book ends. But in Night of the Living Dummy, the Mr. Wood is strangled, like almost strangles the dog to death. Yeah. And then. In Deep Trouble, which was somehow worse than Night of the Living Dummy, Deep Trouble was not good. I could sort of get into Night of the Living Dummy if I read it through a certain lens. And Yeah, welcome to Dead House I was into. Like, it was... Deep Trouble good- was a boy and his sister are visiting their uncle, who is a scientist on a ship who sure. does marine and sort of things. The whole um, dream as presented as reality and then the end of the chapter is like the kid's going to die and then the next chapter, oh, I was just dreaming. Or the next chapter, oh, I was just imagining that. That happens, I don't know, three or four times through the book. And the whole plot is about how the guy's running out of money. The scientist, he's got an assistant, like grad student or something that's helping him and these kids are visiting him. For a vacation, they're scuba. At the very beginning of the, the book, the kid thinks he sees a sea monster who grabs him and is going to pull him under, and they don't believe him. And then that has nothing to do with the plot because the plot is actually two people from a r- random zoo come on a boat That's and fine. have a meeting with the scientist. They're going to give him a million dollars if he can discover the mermaid that's in these waters. And instantly the kid finds the mermaid and they capture it. Great. And put it in a tank. And then the grad student sells them out. And <laughs> is he's like, the grad he's like, now they were going to give a million dollars, the zoo was, but the guys I'm working for now are going to give me $20 million. Whoa. You do the math. And then they like have this little fight, but it's two kids and a scientist against five adult males. 
And they, cool. the cool, grad cool. students just described as a football player body type. <laughs> Where <laughs> and, was your description now, RL Stein? Uh-huh. And, well, there was a lot of it. I just sort of ignored it. But then there wasn't a lot. It wasn't as creepy a story. It didn't have the same sort of... Like yeah, Night of the Living Dummy me, was, you had creepy some twins. Some of them read it as a fantasy, right? Yeah. So just hijinks ensue. But also, at the end of this fight on the boat, the the five guys, the four guys plus the grad student decide, okay, we have we have the mermaid. They're going to take her away in their boat. And they're like looking around. What do we do with these two kids and the scientist? You know, we better kill them. So they sure. put them in a tank and throw it overboard. And they're going to drown to death. And they almost drown, except they're saved by the rest of the mermaids, of course. Well, of course. And I was just kind of surprised that we went that to that point. So in Say Cheese and Die, the one girl, the mechanics of the camera are very unclear. Mm -hmm. He takes a picture of her and she doesn't show up. So he keeps saying she's invisible, she's invisible. So my head is like, she's still like fucking around. She just is invisible. And I'm thinking that's going to be a plot point. No, later, <laughs> he rips the picture up. She comes back. She can't remember what happened. One minute she was there, he took the picture, and the next minute she is at the front door, and it's two days later. And everyone thought she was missing, including their big, huge police search. And there's, like, never then any weird – there's never any consequences for that. Like, <laughs> she was gone for two days, and she can't remember, and, like, everyone is questioning her, and she ain't got shit to say about it. Like – yeah, the mechanics are very hazy. Sometimes it predicts the future, but then it makes her disappear. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think of Goosebumps as very much the B-movie level of I agree. horror. Right. Where I think we have, and, and maybe in the 90s, that's all we had in terms of... I do agree with that. Elementary, early, middle horror-aimed literature? If you want mm-hmm. to call it literature. <laughs> now there's so much more. I'm, I'm guess I'm giving away the store on my my nerd canon vote, but I also wonder. And going back to the covers, you know, due respect to whatever his name was, Tim Jacobus, Jacob mm-hmm. Jacobus, whatever his name was, yeah, yeah. who did all those iconic covers. Those covers are so 90s, and they're the same they covers are. sitting on our shelf in the library as they were 20 years ago. 25 years ago. Whoa, we're old. And I do wonder if they had a makeover, if kids would, those kids who gravitate to the horror and have that sort of level of, a like, they're at that level for the level of horror that it is right. or not, and the level of reading that it is or not, would be more willing to pick them up versus our old drippy Goosebumps. The drippy font goosebumps. 90s yeah. Um, I gotta say, I listened, I read the one in print, I listened to one as an audiobook, and then I watched the show, and Jovial Bob Stein does an (laughs) intro on the audiobook as well, and then he's like the host of the show. He has no fucking personality whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so it's very, it's real cute that he, is so like intimately involved in hosting this as though he's like a famous figure of the Goosebumps world because it didn't add a ton of it to me. But I will say that the audiobook that I listened to was a good reading and, you know, it was like three hours. Like it's totally something I could see me putting on 
if I had to take a long car trip with the kids and they liked that sort of thing, like it was, it was a pretty good, a pretty well produced audio. Yeah. Are we to the point where we're saying you kind of are saying you're not going to put it in yours? What do you? Well, I can also say this. I did read Trapped in Batwing Hall, which is the give yourself goosebumps. Uh huh. It's the third book in that series. Do you know how many, did you say how many in overall there are? A bajillion approximately. Like how many in the main series do we know? I don't know. 61 word between those first, that yeah. first like initial run. Yeah. Anyway, the give yourself goosebumps. I think they're all choose your own adventure. I think that's yeah. the point of it. I love choose your own adventure books. Me too. And I have since I was a kid. My problem with choose your own adventure books is always the same thing, which is I have to read all the storylines simultaneously. Yeah. So on one of these episodes, we're going to just read a choose your own adventure <laughs> and I will read it and you can pick the things. Okay. We're going to do that. But the, I read choose your own adventures with about 18 bookmarks. So I right, can, we have to jump around right, <laughs> and find out. Because I want to do both choices at the same time. But it was pretty so good. Decisive. Yeah. Well, I want to read all the. Yeah, and I've endings. heard a bunch of those actually because that Goosebumps uh, podcast that I listen to, they read the those ones, and I've heard a bunch of them actually, and some of them have some pretty enjoyable endings. A lot of them have like the fake out, not a choice choice. Right. Several of the times, right. but I think those could definitely be added if you're the kid that loves Choose Your Own Adventure. That's just another. Trapped in Batwing Hall was much better than either of the other two Goosebumps books I read. Uh-huh. I, I, it was a kid is dared or something. I forget the beginning. He ends up in this haunted house and yeah. every other kid in there is some sort of creature. It turns That's out cool. and he's trying to get out and has to, you can go to different floors and it's very much like gives this feel of I'm exploring this haunted house. And right. know, my different choices, I can find different things in here. And that, and that was, I thought that one was enjoyable. Deep Trouble is so bad. Uh, <laughs> Night of the Living Dummy is, the other thing I wonder about that is, like, I think that a dummy, a ventriloquist dummy used to be a thing. When mm-hmm. was the last time you saw a mainstream performer? What's that guy with the little puppets? Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? No. There's one he let the listener know that Paul is doing the motions of I'm, having a puppet. I'm great at podcasting. I always do motions. <laughs> it is enjoyable. Um no, I will tell you that Buffy Summers was very afraid of ventriloquist dummies, and there is a Buffy episode about ventriloquist dummies. Yeah. I, is that even a thing note. anymore? There's a reference in Night of the Living Dummy to Bergen and McCarthy, which has gotta be the 40s maybe the yeah 50s? sure so I mean, very like... outdated um and they so... say do they know that but right and i don't a kid's gonna be like it isn't just a doll they still get the creepy doll thing is still very much a trope creepy dolls are still a thing and creepy dolls are actually creepy um welcome to dead house definitely had some creepy haunted house vibes you know, new kid to the neighborhood, trying to fit in, struggling with your pain in the butt brother. Your parents are being, you know, stressed out because they're moving, like all of those things. And then, you know, the end chase part where they're trying to get away and they're trying to figure it all out was was pretty well done. I would say he he spent more than a week on that one because it was the first one. <laughs> um, so welcome to that house. I thought was good. Um, the say cheese and die was. Kind of silly, but it had more of the vibe of, like, the Tales from the Crypt for me. Like, they Hmm. kind of were jerks. And so 
they were a little bit getting their comeuppance and then it had that kind of not ending ending yeah so so yeah i don't know what, what you, what's your verdict my verdict is no that I would not put it in my nerd can. <laughs> this is very negative. We, we've done this like. I, so I just feel like this is setting a tone that <sighs> I think everything deserves a spot and you don't. And that's very funny to me. This you would? A, You're saying yes? Yes. So oh. this deserves a spot for me because as my kids are learning to read, when they get to that point, and when my nieces like were learning to read and they were getting to this point where they could read these, I definitely wanted them to read it. One did, one didn't, one wasn't as into the spooky if a kid is into the, like, you know, into the spooky things, then I definitely think it's something that they should read. Even if it's just one book at Halloween or yeah. a read, something we read together, the, the spooky, spooky season and spooky stuff is super, super duper important to me and something I really love. And well, me too. Yeah. I'm all on board with, I think Halloween is the best holiday. Best holiday. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I love spooky stuff. I love that theme. But I, I think if my son finds it, I think I would go so far as to say, I would be like, hey, maybe you want to try this at that point. But it's not something I'm going to say goes in the nerd canon because I don't think it's good enough. It it doesn't, it, they're not great. It's not great writing. Not that it has to be great writing, but it's like right. actively bad writing. <laughs> I think if if a kid gets into it, and I would throw it at a kid and give it a shot. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. If a kid gets into it and then reads 61 books, like you right. did good, like you got a kid to read. I a would bunch throw of- it at a kid. I think I will probably still read more of them for me. At this I think age. I will too. I think I will read more of them because I'd like to find one that maybe is the best of the lot that I would give to a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that seems. Now I'm now I'm questioning that decision. Should I give him the best one and then everyone <laughs> else for that is like <laughs> a disappointment? All of them suck. <laughs> but I I would maybe if if I think once Silas gets to the age where he's reading stuff like this, I might say, hey, try this. It's something I read when I was a kid. I agree with you that they're like the. The B movie version yeah. of a lot of these stories, and they're the they're more juvenile than a middle school book. But I think there's a lot of charm in a crappy B movie, okay. B horror movie. Yeah. And so for me, yeah, these are the so I can understand why you listen to that other podcast because these are exactly the type. It's the Mystery Science Theater three thousand exactly of books. Right. It's There's like, so much ridiculous shit yes. that you're like, oh, I need to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. I could I could totally see listening to people reading the books and making fun of them, which right. that's why it doesn't go in my nerd canon. I don't think that's a necessary thing. I, there's too much <laughs> other good things for me to say. This is something that I have to share or he has to know about. Fair. Okay. okay. All right. I approved of Clue. I don't know what you're talking about, this tone that we're setting, that I'm the negative. Now you're setting me up. This is my tone. I'm the, I'm the villain no, of the show. No, I'm, um, no, I'm too permissive. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I love everything. I'm very nostalgic. As Judge John Hedgeman says, nostalgia is a toxic impulse, and I am prey it to is. it for sure. Mm-hmm. Let's reference every other podcast on our podcast. Um, Why not? 
<laughs> so should I say the other podcast I listen to is Goosebuds? Cool. If you love terrible horror yeah. books, they're funny because they make fun of them, and sometimes yeah. they read the choose your own, the give yourself goosebumps ones. So if you need more goosebumps in your life, then that's probably what you need. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to Nerd Canon. Find us on Twitter at Nerd Canon and we're on Instagram at Nerd Canon Podcast. Yeah. I'm Beth. I'm Paul. Till next time. Keep the nerd. Keep the nerd alive. alive. You're the worst. Bye. Bye.